Welcome back, everyone, to a Mindset Medicine podcast. I'm Catherine Lucidu, your host, and I have a very special guest today who is going to give you the most education that you have heard this week in the realm of leadership. We are going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about team building. We're going to talk about culture and everything else that comes along with that, the pain and the pleasure of it. So I am here today with John Costanza, and I'm going to give him a little brief introduction, but then we're going to get John to start right from the beginning. And he is going to lead us down the road, or I'm going to say up the road, up the ladder, because he is incredible in what he's accomplished in his 20 plus years in the beauty industry. So Thank you, John, first of all, for joining me today. I know you are very busy. Thank um, you for having me. I'm really excited. I've been really excited about this day because I've been preparing for it. I've had questions and I was like, okay, we've got this today because I want to give people as much value as possible when they're going to tune in. And we have people listening in you know, 14 to 16 different countries. So I want them to really grasp what a true leader looks like. So John has over 25 years in the beauty industry. His previous ventures include vice president and general manager of L'Oreal and Conair Corporation, group vice president of Sally Beauty Holdings, and today he holds the position of group vice president of beauty industry group. That's a lot of titles over the years that you have very well deserved accomplished. I actually have a quote that was written about you, and I think it's on the beauty industry site. And mm -hmm. it says, through John's extensive background in both distribution and selling directly to salons, John Costanza understands a holistic view of the industry. And I thought we would start there. Because in order for you, my understanding about business is in order for you to have a holistic view of the, the industry, you would have to have done a lot of the different positions all the way up the ladder to truly understand where everyone comes from. Would that be right? Yeah, that'll be right. And th thanks for the opportunity here to share my story. But um uh, in, in a sense, you're saying that I'm old. <laughs> I've been, I've been in the industry a long time, so I've experienced a lot. And in, in the broad brush of, of strokes, I've done a lot of different roles uh, from right from being a sales rep, calling on a lot of traditional mom and pop customers uh, in a small city, uh, basically in my hometown, Toronto, Canada, and then uh, and progressed to running an operation. Um, doing mergers and acquisitions, consolidations, building a team from scratch uh, and scaling a company, doing it for a public company, and then doing it for a huge corporation, and then just continuing on. And every experience was different. And I found that, thankfully, opportunities came my way. But And it was in the beauty industry because I built the network in the beauty industry. However, every experience was so different you know, uh, from international exposure to moving to the U.S. and living in New York City or working in New York City. So there's there's just so much that I learned through the process and met so many great people and learned so much uh, in a, in my career path, if that answers your question. That's, yeah, that's, that's a mouthful of experience. And I definitely don't think you're old. I think you have so much experience and wisdom. And actually, 
I wasn't going to say this. It is not even in my notes, but I am going to tell you something. So the first time um, that we met, it was over business um, and real estate. And here's what I was much younger. And I sent you an email and my email was very long winded and it had details and this and that. And you responded back. All the details are unnecessary. Just let me know the facts. That, believe it or not, taught I don't remember, I don't remember doing that. Believe it or not, that actually taught me how to write the most efficient emails after that because I sat back. I'm that kind of person that I'm reflective. And I looked at it and I said, you know what? He's absolutely right. There was so much unnecessariness in that email where my point would have got lost that it taught me, and then I went on to teach other people, mm. be concise, get to the point. Nobody cares about all the extra stuff you're throwing in there. Yeah. And to me, that was one of the most important things I've learned in business was the art of writing an email where you just get to your point so that the rest isn't lost on the person who's receiving it, especially if they're busy. So that's interesting. That. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, you know, I want to apologize because that was probably come, came across rude and no, no, and, and actually, I, not at all. It was such a great, but maybe because I've been a teacher my whole career, I love the fact that you responded by letting me know that this is just way too much. Just get to the point. Yeah, one of the and, best and, things I've ever learned. Yeah, I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, the, but there's there's also learning on the other side of that, and and, and I, I appreciate the, the comments, and I do my best to get to the point. Sometimes I could get wordy as well, especially emails. Emails are so difficult because it sometimes doesn't uh, come across genuine or doesn't come across to who you really are. And I've gotten that feedback. I've had 360 done on myself to say, hey, the person you are on an email is the, is not the same person we talk to face to face. So uh, that's important to me. So I try to stick to the point. Um, and, and, and I also, I, I don't know, I have a little bit of an ADD in, in the sense that if it's too lengthy, you lost me. You know, I just need the details and I need it short. Even to this day, it's funny. I, I text one of my colleagues to say, I don't need a three paragraph you know, dissertation back. There's like very quick points. One, two, three. Yeah, that's all I really ask. And I'm not, I don't be, they know on the other hand, I'm not being rude. I'm just like, you don't need to go into, this is me here. This is, you're speaking to me. I, I'm okay with the, you know, the point. You know? And it's, it's honestly one of the best pieces of advice um, for communication, right? It's because your point will be lost on people. The, the one right. point that you really wanted to make, it will get lost if you just mix it up with all this other, uh, I'm not going to call it nonsense, but like, you know, flowery language and all of that is just so unnecessary when you need to get a point across. Right. Um, so here's where I want to start us off. I, and we're not going to be humble on this call. I would like you to tell me, what is your superpower as a leader? Where mm. do you believe that you shine? Because you've been doing this long enough that I think you know where you have a really great strength as a leader? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I, I only know it through comments that I may get back from individuals, whether it's my boss or my peers or, or my employees that would come to me and say, John, this is what you're great at. And and 
I am one of the individuals that like compromise, like to come to an end game, like to uh, combat conflict. I, I like to uh, really help coach people get through conflict, get through miscommunications um, that tends to video off on how to make a decision, right? So I tend to do that a lot. They call me the diplomatic person. Um, sometimes tell me you should be on the some sort of government panel to be a diplomat in, in a sense to, to raise peace, you know, and, and I don't do that until, I mean, I'm not a peacekeeper, let's say. I think Canadians in general are peacekeepers, so I, maybe that I have that inequality, but uh, that's a big part of who I am. I just, I don't like conflict. Not that I can't uh, deal with it, but I, I know how to try to get around it because I know that there's always two sides to every story, no matter what, there's two sides to every story. And sometimes it's uh, miscommunication. The other thing I, I like to do and, and I'm known for is building teams. I really do like building teams and happy, uh, just having people flourish through building teams, putting them in what I call the right seat on the bus, making sure uh, all their skill sets shine based on the role you give them. So those are things that, that uh, stand out for me. Well, I love that. Um, I think part of the dis diplomacy, and you remind me a lot of my younger brother, um, he now has been promoted to president of uh, different projects for all of Toronto for his engineering firm. And I know for a fact that what they see in him is what I see in him is that he's very calm and level-headed. You know, there's he may feel ruffled inside with something going on, mm -hmm. but if it comes to a, a, a situation of conflict, he can very easily remain the most calm person in that situation mm -hmm. and just tell people, listen, you know, I don't, I just don't think you're being very reasonable right now. Why don't we come back to this in a few right. minutes? Very calm. That's a good, that's a great point. Calmness is, is something I, I, I have in me. I really don't talk about it too much. It just really sort of comes out. Yeah. Um, but it does on the other side, when you're speaking to people on another side at a different level that wants a reaction from you, wants the excitement. I'm also not that person. I'm not saying I don't like to have fun. I do. People know me. I like to have fun. I'm, I like humor uh, and everything I do, but you won't see a reaction from me either way. Even if it's like, well, we had an outstanding, great month. I'll give everyone accolades, but you won't see me jumping up and down uh, of excitement. But on the other hand, I'll be the same way if there's something really wrong or something is negative. You won't see me reacting, reacting uh, in that in an excitable emotional manner i'm pretty level you know yeah. my personal life maybe a little bit different you know uh it's that italian in me but i would say that in general i'm always fairly calm it takes a lot to get me excited and then in, in, in pros or cons to get me excited let's go in let's dig into that a little bit because i feel the same way and i feel like there's a reason for that the way that I see business and when situations unfold, and especially when I owned the real estate brokerage, I felt like every five minutes, there was a situation being thrown at me by one of the agents who was in a deal and something happened. Um, what I learned is that there's a, there's a solution to almost everything. I just need everyone to calm down. And and then let's think through this. Like There's always a strategy or a, a solution out there, which is why I think it is possible to stay calm if you think like that. Right. The cooler heads prevail. You know, that's, that's a phrase that is most commonly used. And I, I, I believe in it, you know, 
you just your decisions will be so much more better if you're calmer or cooler. You, you have a level head. Um, I, I think that's very, very important. And I'm not one to, I don't meditate. I don't, you know, I call myself in different ways, but in, in, in my heart level is actually at a calming rate. My, my father, I get this from my father. My father was exactly the same way. It took him a lot to get him angry or roused. Uh, I was just the same, same type of individual to us. Yeah. Um, let's move on to teams because I do want to get a lot of your insight into teams. So um, I read there is a secret to motiv motivating individuals and teams to do great things, and that is purpose. Mm -hmm. Giving everyone a purpose and having a common vision. And, you know, the word vision, I think, is thrown around a lot. But how have you managed to get people to buy into your vision? And this is kind of a two-part question. So you have changed positions in different companies, different states, different countries over the years. How do you get people to buy into your vision, even as a new leader? So there's a lot in that question, but mm. what have you learned over the years that you can get people on board with your ideas or the ideas of the company or the direction of a company? Yeah, I have one answer, make it theirs, not yours. Yeah, I, I've never, I've, there was points in my career that I felt that I was the one creating the vision or the values or the mission. And I find the, when it's yours, like if it's mine, it's only mine. But if you make it theirs, it becomes theirs. It lives beyond you. Uh, and I try to get that, I try to you really emphasize on uh, emphasize on that with most of the employees that work for me is things need to live beyond John Costanza. And if if John Costanza created the vision or the mission or the values, then he goes away, that seems to go away. But right. when it's theirs, yeah. it takes the whole company to leave for that those values to leave or those the vision to leave or that mission to leave. So I would say make it theirs, don't make it yours. So then if I dig a little deeper, how do you manage to do that? Because that is not an easy thing to do to get people to internalize it as their vision for the company or yeah. purpose. Right. It's, I've, I've done many strategic sessions and culture building sessions and the best ones are working sessions around creating these, these visions and these values. Um, as a group. And I, I think they're very important. There was a point in time where I didn't like them too much. I didn't think that they really did add value because really we were, as a corporation, sometimes they just point you in the direction they want you to go. So you start to build the core values around where they want you to go. It's not really yours and you feel it. But if you create these sessions where you, you, you're an open, it's a working session, you're feeling the culture, you're building the culture, I think those are the most successful. I mean, those are, for me, the best exercises. Whether you do it virtually or you do it live with people doesn't matter, but it's it's building those exercises around, you know, some sort of session. And uh, that's where I've seen it succeed the most. And I would say in the last multiple companies I work with, I've, I've done it that way. And it's worked. And it didn't always, it wasn't always that way, but I, I learned that over time. So I would imagine then 
when you do have employees or team members who take in that vision and they make it their own, then the retention level is higher as well in that company. Yeah, until they stop believing in it. You know, so the key is they need to believe in it. They need to, if they're setting their values, their visions, their missions, they need to believe in it. They need to believe it's everything they do. It revolves around everything they, every business decision they make, everything, every meeting they have, uh, every interaction they have with the customer, let's say, it needs to revolve around those core core values or that system. And the minute it starts to not connect, you need to change it. And there's quite often where companies don't change it enough, you know, so they need to go change the culture, change who they are, because they're in a different journey of where their organization is. And I've seen this many times. Lately, I've been working with entrepreneurial companies that need to scale into a corporation. And when you do that, it's a whole different value system. It's a whole different culture system. So you, you, you're, you're forced to change. And a lot of times you'll have individuals say, well, it never used to be this way. It used to be so much better when an entrepreneur was running it. We'd make decisions faster. I just go directly to that person. Uh, yeah, that's changed. And the minute you start to get honest with the people, then you start to move around. Okay. What, so what does the culture look like now? Let's, Let's respect the past, but where do we want the culture to be now? That's really interesting. I imagine, would you say that that's one of the most challenging uh, projects that you would have is moving someone who is an entrepreneur who has grown this business or company, which I believe is a far more intimate um, environment where, you know, because I've heard the same thing before. Um, I remember when I started my, my brokerage or even the, the business that I had when I lived abroad. And, you know, you start small and everyone feels like, you know, we know each other and it's very intimate, like a family. And then you start introducing more people to the mix or more employees, or you start expanding that vision for, uh, for expansion or scalability. All of a sudden, the dynamic begins to change just because their mindset, I found, was very small. And it's like you have to expand their mindset to get to where you need to go. Yeah, the only and I agree with you. It starts with the leader, the entrepreneur, right? And when people tell you, forget about business right now, but when when they when they tell you you should quit smoking or you should go on a diet or you should start to exercise, the person have to want to do it right you cannot change that person i've worked with enough entrepreneurs i will be honest most entrepreneurs have to leave the company because it's just too difficult for them and they would have to step away completely that's the most the most successful are the ones that just step away completely from the day-to-day -day, right. step away from managing people yes work more on the strategic side more work more as an advisor to the next leader and step away. That's the most successful. The ones that are still in it day to day struggle the most yeah. because they would have to change their mindset. Yes. And it's so difficult to change their mindset. Yeah. Um, entrepreneurial business are so used to every employee reporting directly to them, even though they don't think that happens. Maybe on the on org chart they introduce doesn't show it that way. It doesn't matter. Uh, you if you speak to a core entrepreneur, they'll tell you. Everybody in this company reports to me. They can walk in any day, open the door, 
And that a decision will be made based on that person that walked in the door. A corporation doesn't work like that. They have hierarchies, whether we like them or not. And that's how you scale companies. Otherwise, you just can't move forward. You can't scale the organization if everyone's just going to one person all the time. It's just not realistic. Now, what I do respect is in an entrepreneurial spirited company, and I, I, I say spirited, you could definitely be that way where you get through the bureaucracy and you make decisions because collectively you all agree as a management team, as a company, we need to move forward. And if we can make that spirit live, then that agile feel to a company is powerful. So yeah. to be that agile, uh, to move things forward like an entrepreneur does is is a key a sticking point to a successful business moving from entrepreneurial entrepreneurial to you know a corporation, let's say. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think entrepreneurs are are too close to the business that they created, yeah. their baby, right? And so it, it would, yeah, they it would be um, right. would and be- rightfully so. You need to respect that process. Yeah, you know, I I say this all the time with entrepreneurs. I've never been an entrepreneur. I've run entrepreneurial businesses. I've scaled them. I've run corporations. I've never had to put my money on the line. And I say this to people all the time lately, recently, because when we went through the pandemic, there were individuals, probably like yourself, Catherine, but there were individuals that employed their employees with no revenue coming in at all, zero revenue coming in. And every day cash was leaving their bank. Their credit lines were increasing. They had no revenue coming in. And because they wanted to secure these employees that they feel 100% responsible for, they just kept on paying them. No one returned that favor back to them. The government didn't come in and say, here's a lot of money for losing money. No, there was no return. You know, a little bit of subsidies. Most countries didn't have anything. You know, how do you how do you do that? And above and beyond the pandemic, I mean, there was, I'm sure, times before people sacrificing their bank account, their livelihood. You put that on the line. You need to respect that process. No corporation would ever do that. They would never risk the bottom line at all. Yeah, totally different way of looking at um, right. running a business, right? Well, since we we brought up the pandemic, how has the way that you have, has your leadership changed because of the way that the workforce all of a sudden went remote some people are, are in-house and I don't know what it was like in any of the companies wherever you were at the time of the pandemic, but I know that the way people were working, their priorities, what motivated them, it's like everything went out the window mm-hmm. and it's like we were starting all over again. Right. So when we came back from that, we won't, we won't talk about going through it, but let's talk about the post era. What did that look like for you? How were you, how did you, manage to deal with all these changes all at once? You know, you can't deal with it all at once. I mean, everything sort of came in phases. So the return post-pandemic was still a hybrid remote model, worked, working hybrids from the office. We, we've seen that in all our businesses. The one thing I would say, and even now, you need to be honest with yourself as a leader to say, to get through the understanding of whether people want to work remote or work in an office. I think it's right in the middle somewhere. And um, I'm not in an agreement that it's one one way or the other. It, I just do think it's right in the middle. So that changed dramatically because that didn't exist. And, and it's a real thing having people drive 
an hour and a half, an hour commuting to get to an office, uh, fooling around in between getting their coffee and all that stuff, starting the day, then they start the day and then, you know, then they have to leave at five or six to get on the commute again to get home. And that they they got a taste of the work-life balance. They, it was a huge balance. Being home, my pet was here, you know, being with your pet, which is a real thing, being with your kids for dinner, even if it is stepping out for dinner and then coming back and working again. They lived that life. And, and, and for the most part, people were very productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's no reason for them to go back, nor do they want to. So be real with yourself as a leader to say, what is it that, uh, what employees am I trying to track? And are those employees uh, into working at an office or working remote or hybrid? And that's your default. That's, that, makes, that makes their decision. The other thing that's changed a lot is communication style. You know, we've, we thought we had problems before pandemic with uh, millennials and all generations communicating with whether boomers or Generation X all communicating with each other and the different sort of, um, you know, styles or working styles. That was always, that was already a problem as it was. The communication style was different. During the pandemic, it, it actually got worse because you're just going back in back-to-back meetings. Uh, you're not really having personal conversations anymore. Uh, and the other thing that I read an article, which is quite interesting, is the hallway discussion after a meeting was the post-meeting, which was like, hey, I know in the meeting you said this, but did you really mean that or did you mean something else? And you don't have time to call them up and ask them, but in the hallway you were doing that all the time, right? And you need to figure out what where the hallway time is. Where yeah. you can call that now it's dialing on Teams or Zoom or Slack and having a conversation. And and because there's always a hallway conversation. It never ends in just the, the one meeting that you have. And yeah. there's not enough of those going around. And there's some key decisions that just get prolonged because of that. So learning how to have those hallway discussions and also the personal conversations about how how are you. You know, yeah. I still am a big believer that you get on a call and you ask how people are, either before or at the end. You know, how are you doing? I don't know how's how's your life? Uh, how's the family? How's uh, are the kids? You know, those things are just very important. How are you doing? You know, mentally, and all those things are very important. We've lost those touches. A lot of those touches. Uh, post-pandemic, so we we need to get them back. We need to figure out what those are. And right. also celebration, like celebrating people, getting together. doesn't matter whether it's Zoom or live. You do those on a regular basis to celebrate people and, and acknowledge what they've done, milestones. And I think, um, I know in my experience, and, and I'm probably guilty of this as well, where, you know, when you're behind a screen, like, and you're working from home, right? You can, you can get carried away with work, a lot of work. And I know that now I have to consciously stop and say, I need to check in with this person. I need to see how they are. Whereas, you know, when you're walking into an office and then people are just, you know, knocking on the door, hey, how's it going? It was a whole different dynamic. People would stop by for a coffee. It's not like that now or not as much. So I feel like the effort of being intentional has to be that much more than it ever had to be before. But you really have to think about it and make a conscious effort, like whether it's even 
um, putting it into your calendar, check up on this person, check in with this person. Um, I have I everything almost as a reminder list now every day when I go to bed, it's do these things. And even though it's the smallest thing, I put it in there just so I remind myself, you know, check in with this person. You haven't, you know, even on, on social media, uh, send this person a message, see how they're doing. Right. And it was never, I never had to remind myself of that before. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and it's, it's more common to do it when you're seeing them in the hallway a lot. But when you're only seeing them in meetings virtually, you don't have the time to do it because you're in group sessions. And maybe you're not in meetings on a regular basis to that individual. Um, but reminding yourself to check in with that person more now than ever because of, you know, what really, how people are feeling these days. You know, the, the emotional mindset today is, is, is quite difficult. People are struggling. And yeah. um, it's been a many, it's been now multiple years of struggling. It wasn't just a one-time thing, this pandemic continued, it dragged on. And still to this day, whether it's the financial impact or the personal impact, I still see it linger on. And it's not done yet. You know, it's, it's still not done yet. I think we're a year, if not more, away from starting to see it subside on the financial part, but also on the emotional part. And People, you know, virtual, live, all those discussions, I think they're still happening and, and we're still living them. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast and they were actually going back into the history of the world and they were talking about the 1920s. So, um, you know, there was there was World War One. Right. And then the people, the younger people who came out of World War One were were so happy. And that was like that flapper era. And so they went through, but they only had about seven years of that. And then the depression happened. And then after the depression happened, then World War II. And I feel like we're almost going through that a very extended winter period like they did. Where it's come out of the pandemic. Now we're going into whatever they're calling it. Um, you know, recession or, you know, just the economy is is challenging. I feel like the when you're talking to people now, they're fragile. Like no, at so. any moment, I feel like that person is going to break and they're either going to break one way or the other, but they're not going to be uh, the kind of strength that you were talking to beforehand. So I, think- I agree. I mean, the, the struggle is real and it's everywhere. I feel it uh, as much as anybody feels it. I, you know, you get, you get into your mindset, you get the stress level up, you get, emotionally connected to uh, either it could be personal life, it could be professional, um, and and things are not happening as fast as they used to happen. Um, and and you can work as hard as you want and can, and they, they're still not happening as fast as they used to happen. So uh, it, it's it's a real struggle for for many people, you know. So I, and it's been lingering, and it's like you said, it's been multiple years. So there's evolutions of this in time and we're living it. And maybe we never thought we were ever going to live it, but we're in it now. And I do feel also for our kids, our younger generation that see this prolonged thought process and they they believe that the future is, is not bright and uh, they need to get over that because history will tell you the future is bright. And we are going to get past this and they're going to have plenty of runway uh, to see the, the right future ahead of them. 
And, you know, let's talk about, you know, kids for a moment. Um, I know I see this in my 20-year-old now. So he actually ended up uh, staying home because of the pandemic um, from the end of grade 10 and never went back. So his, you know, the most, for me, the, the most fun years of high school were grade 11 and 12, where he missed that. There was no prom. There was no graduation. And then from there, he went straight into university. And then that that whole, like, you know, first year university, it was, you're going to wear a mask. You're going to be um, one seat away from the person beside you. So now you're not even getting to know the person beside you in class. And that's my first year of university was, you know, they, they were lighting fireworks in our pockets and making mm-hmm. us walk around drunk around Toronto. He mm-hmm. didn't have any of that. So then now he evolves um, and, you know, he's in a hard program, astrophysics. So now we go to year two and now the the studying gets piled on on top even more. Mm -hmm. And till now in year three, there is no friends he's met at university. There's no friends from high school. And I and everyone that he knows is online in games. Mm -hmm. And it's just this completely altered environment of you know what well what they're a workforce by the way you know so understand that you need to you need to understand it you need to figure yes. out what what their culture is because I, their social skills are very very different and for our purpose we can actually say that they're not strong social skills but they have it in their own way you know my they son do. my son is a gamer too and uh, you know, he sits uh, on on these games. He's old. He's 24 now, and I I see it in him too. I but I see him interacting with people, and he's he's social enough. And he's carried. This is the funny thing is he's carried the same gaming team since he was probably 13, 14 years old. Yes. And they get together every once in a while. That's his social network, you yes. know, in a sense. And uh, we got to respect that, but. Uh, what what I when I see that or I see my other kids more him, I I have to understand that that's the person I probably is are going to be hiring in the next whatever five years. So we need to figure out how they communicate because we need to get the best out of them for us to perform, and uh, that's not an easy task. And everyone's unique and different, but that generation is going to be different to try to manage. Right? And so that's what I've started doing rather than having, you know, this mindset of judgment, whenever I pick him up and we're on the two hour ride on the way home, I'm just asking questions like, oh, you know, they say that this is where we were going to be in five Mm -hmm. years where people are going to have a digital girlfriend or they're going to have, you know, what, and I just, I give these like provocative statements to him because I want to see where his mind is at. And then he'll be like, well, that's just ridiculous. You know, right. so I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, check that one's okay. Right, right. But I find that unless I ask these provocative statements, mm-hmm. I'm not going to understand where, you know, like I'll check in and, you know, I'll do a FaceTime and I'll say, you know, are you okay? Like, you're, you're good. He's like, yeah. And I said, you're not, you're not bored. You don't miss anyone. He's like, no, I'm fine. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, still trying to figure this out, you know? I, you know, it's, it's funny being a parent just really broadens your experience on how to manage people. It really does. And I went through it with all three of my kids. And then when I started coaching uh, a soccer team with my kids, I, you know, coached other 
it was girls, the girls soccer team, and you you learn different qualities and you can you can take some of that to any of your experiences when you're managing people to say how do you how do you coach others right? Coaching has become a key phrase these days, not managing. And yeah. teams lately, we're talking about companies and employees as team members. You know, so that's a phrase that's out there. You know, I don't know if it will stick, but it's funny we talk that language because when you look at teams and coaching in general, uh, every day you're you're trying to communicate with team members to motivate them to be the best at what they do on the, uh, you know, in in their sport. Let's say, well, that's no different in an office environment. If you can nurture that and and really bring it out of someone. The coaching and motivating is a key factor. The other thing I respect about, you know, sports in general is their the way they train. Training is such a big part of their DNA, and people forget that. So in our world, we need to understand that. We need to understand you don't get great at something if you're not training, if you're not learning and developing. And it's easier said than done because there's times where I sit back and say, I, you know, I don't feel like learning or training or any of that stuff. And, and uh, but it's important, even if it's in everyday life, just asking people questions and learning from their experiences and how you could take that to your leadership style or or the way you manage your life and, and business. Since we were talking about sort of the way things have evolved, um, that's what my next question is: is how has your leadership style changed with you know? The way, because the way the beauty industry has changed and evolved as well, even the way that it's marketed now has significantly changed. I, I know I've noticed it. Um, how have you noticed the way that your leadership style has had to adapt to even the ways that, you know, the beauty industry portrays itself or how products are being sold or, you know, What's the word I'm looking for? Just marketed out there now. Yeah, to, you know, great, great question. Um, I would tell you my core leadership style has not changed at all. It really has not changed at all. It's I've been the same leader. You can ask anybody that has worked with me or continue to work with me or continue to connect with me in my in my career. My leadership style has not changed at all. It's been the same leadership style. The things that uh, in my skill set or understanding of a business has changed because how we went traditionally to markets in our past compared to what it is now is so different. It's we we based way back when I was started as a sales rep. It was all about relationships, and and it still is about relationships, but in a whole different manner. Um, it was much more organic before. You're much more social in your your networking, being out in an environment, golfing, uh, and going to a bar, going to a restaurant, going to social networks. Those were very popular things. Now everything is digital, you know. So you're doing virtual sessions or virtual events or virtual connects connects social networking. Like I use Link LinkedIn a lot, and uh, and of course a lot of people use Instagram and TikTok and connecting their own communities and networks. And those things mean a lot. There was a point in time where, and I, we we deal with a lot of different client base, mainly artists in our business, hairdressers, and we call them artists. And there's many different businesses, industries like this is they like their own community. So they want to be in a social community that they can connect with each other and be real with themselves. So they 
you put them in a Facebook group and they tend to ask their own questions and ask their, answer their own questions. So they, they troubleshoot. They, how did you correct this problem? And they answer their own question. They do it to get together and they really love being in a sense of community. And that's why social media is so popular because they just want to be a part of something. So that is more important now than it's ever been. It's always been there, but now the social networks and the social media has amplified that so much. So Uh, having a group of people that you can make it with is is very important. And the great thing is it is at your fingertips, what you're doing in coaching um, and you're connecting with people virtually through social media and and virtual events, that's so much more easier to do than it, it was when you have to go drive into a network event and different cities and different countries, you know, uh, doing it virtually, you can actually touch the whole country. Uh, and, and that has changed dramatically in, in the past. So I would say the consumer behavior or our, our industry has also changed that way. So when we're marketing, we're marketing digitally. And if you're not going viral, if you're not on a platform that could go viral or can expand in your reach, you're not, you're just, you're just not doing justice. Um, but it's evolved digital marketing per se is evolving every day, whether it's in AI today or it's because one day a, a pay of what I call pay to play is, is a real thing. And before that it was organic. Yeah. Now it's becoming a little bit more organic and a hybrid between organic and pay to play. I know. And, uh, and understanding that. There's consumers out there, especially post pandemic, are starting to say, hey, I'm calling your BS on you saying that this is the best product because I have enough network that says it's not. I have right. enough rating that says it's not. That never used to happen before. You can yeah. go out there and market your brand and you can market it to the number one brand in this industry and you would never know if that's truth or not. And yeah. today, a consumer will call you out on that and have data. <laughs> exactly. to back it. Right. And you're going to have a whole lot of people that jump on that bandwagon. If, right. Uh, so yeah. you're, you're, the stuff you're selling better work, you know, just in general, yeah. because you'll be called out pretty quickly. And I find, uh, I love the point that you made where it's, you know, the, the area that you're affecting now has expanded much faster. And, but I also think that one of the things that a leader in, in teaching or coaching their team is to be very aware that the messaging that you're putting out there will also be picked up immediately. Like yeah. it's not, you know, put something out in the paper like it was back then and you can retract it because yeah. there was a mistake. There's no retracting anymore. So even yeah. when I'm coaching entrepreneurs or leaders, I always say, you know, you actually have to be extra careful with the messaging you're putting out there now to the world, because it's not this local message anymore. You are traveling countries globally with that one message. Right, right. I agree. I mean, you need to be true to yourself for sure and be who you are, but be, you know, be careful that messaging and how it can be interpreted out there, because if it does go viral, you can never take it back. Uh, you can always Google it and it'll come back and haunt you. Um, and, um, and, and the good stuff always stays viral too, which is not a bad thing either. And you can scale it, but you're absolutely right. You know, today you, you can, it can make or break you in general. Well, 
I mean, really, I've gone through a whole, as you can see, iPad worth of questions. But my last, my last question is just what haven't I asked you that you think is a really important either a piece of insight that you would want to leave other leaders or what, what haven't I asked you that you think is a really important point that you would want to leave people with today? Yeah. I mean, the one question you haven't asked me is what's next. Right. And that's an important question because today, if you read most of the articles out there, I, I am 53 years old. And of course, there's times people have made money to retire even before my time you see it you know you see a different bitcoin owners and all these guys that are billionaires and made their money uh game game stop the whole story like there's so many movies around these things today and yeah. and those things you know great fantastic i'm not that guy right so i'm working hard and most people out there are working hard and um, most people are going to probably retire at a later age because their 401ks they're Pension plans are not working the way they used to work. The boomers uh, at one point had great pension plans because everything was great. Economy was great. So the macroeconomics has changed everything. So people are going to work uh, probably longer in their career, let, retire less earlier. And, and that means that there is a what's next. And I say that because you have to be constantly reinventing yourself. I, I, have, I tell my kids this often. When my oldest is 29 and the youngest is 24, and when they feel as if they're grinding, I've got to be the guy to say, it's not over. And if you think that you're going to hit this peak and that's enough, one, it's never enough, you know, I find. And then two, somehow you're probably going to be humbled and have to redefine yourself, reinvent yourself. Yeah. I'm constantly, whether I like it or not, I'm constantly reinventing myself. I never thought I would have to because I was that 24-year-old that thought, no, I'm just going to hit my peak and I'm going to retire. That is absolutely not the case. I've been reinventing myself. Those career changes you talk about, somewhere in there I had to reinvent myself, not once, not twice, not three times, maybe four or five times, you know, and it's not over. Uh, I'm still reinventing myself. So I ask the question all the time is what's next because there's, there is a what's next. And although that's the only question I haven't heard from you. That's, that's really good. Um, I've been listening to a lot of, I, you know, when we talk about reinventing ourselves, so I've been, most of my, let's say what I, what I take in these days is a lot of, it's a lot of business I've been listening to, but also a lot of health and longevity. And it's interesting because you have uh, these very uh, intelligent people. You know, you have uh, Peter Diamandis, who is running this, uh, it's called Fountain Life, and mm -hmm. it's longevity. And he says, you know, gone are the days that people are going to be living to 80 and you should be. He said, the way that I, I teach financial advisors now is I want you to give people two plans. I want you to give them their plan to 80, but then I want you to give them their plan to 120. And he said, you know, it's, and, and that's the mindset I'm trying to get people to grab onto is that mm -hmm. 80 was before. And the way that we're moving now is that people can live longer, which means you have more time to keep reinventing yourself. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Someone just talked to me about that book and his podcast and 
we are having the same conversation where aging is a real thing and having to take care of yourself and and have your life longevity is a real thing. And he's he's quite brilliant in some of the mindset he has. So interesting book and podcast well it's it's that and then it's i feel like it's just messages that i'm i'm trying to get in in my mind is um i watched a, a documentary on arnold schwarzenegger mm-hmm. right and the amount that that man has reinvented himself but not right. even like let's move you know uh, horizontally right like we're going to make a lateral move from you know being in business to being a business coach sure that makes sense but you know to go from a bodybuilder to actor to mayor of California to you know all of this and then they they also they did an interview with Dwayne Johnston the rock mm-hmm. and you know it's same thing right it's wrestling then actor now businessman multiple businesses and so on and mm-hmm. he said if you watch my social media channels i don't draw lines in the sand of where this begins and this ends. He said, it's all me. And I can reinvent and I can also merge together anything that I do because it's always going to be me. And that kind of comes back to when I said, you know, that uh, leadership, you know, has your leadership style changed the way that society and media are advancing? And you said, no. My leadership style is the same, but the way that you maybe are perceiving things is just altering a little bit or the way that you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're engaging. So I, I think that's something to take from, from all of these people is that you don't have to change who you are to reinvent yourself. All you have to do is just expand who you are into these different, into these different areas. Right. I agree. There's a friend of mine that uh, from Toronto, when I got my first pivotal career change, he had known me for probably 15 years already. And I remember him calling me and congratulating me. He said, you know, you need to change your style now. You know, you, you're a, a, a larger leader. This is a big corporation. You, you need to really change your leadership style, maybe be a little bit more assertive. He called me 24 hours later and he he pretty he said to my he said to me i was an idiot don't listen to what i just said you've gotten this far in the way the way you are today and your leadership style don't change who you are i'm an idiot for even talking about it just do what you've always done because it's you have succeeded this far so why why would that stop you from going any further so i mean it hit me hard because i i was actually listening to him like i think i do need to change but he was right, and and I have not veered off from, from who I am. So I try not to anyway. Well, that is where I want to end this, because I think that is a really good message for people. You don't have to change who you are in order to expand and become, you know, even better or, you know, exceed the ceiling that you have on top of you. You don't have to change who you are. Just yeah. expand. I agree. Thank I agree. you. Thank, well, thank you, you so much for for doing this. Um, I know that this will have added a lot of value to a lot of people out there. And um, thank you all for listening or watching if you're watching this on YouTube. And uh, I look forward to seeing you all again. Thank you. Thanks for your time.